All right. And if you've noticed, the pulpit is a different size, and uh, we have been working on tweaking different things and just finishing up uh, the little projects here and, and there and trying to get things done. And so praise the Lord for the progress that has been made. Uh, another coat of poly on all the steps and everything. And that's just about finishing our platform. Just one more coat uh, of poly on the pulpit. And uh, that will platform will be finished. And so uh, we are getting some work done. And uh, I, I forgot to mention it until I went back to my seat. Uh, just so you know where we are uh, financially as a church, members... Um, Years ago, we set up a contingency fund. We put some money in there, and uh, all the bills came in from the renovation and several other things. And so I talked to Brother Dave and uh, Brother um, Stephen, there we go, who are our trustees. And we just uh, moved some money from the contingency so we didn't have to pay interest. And then we'll pay that back over the next several weeks. So uh, just to... Standard operating procedure there, but wanted to let you know what's going on, and uh, we're we're doing our best uh, to keep everything good. And I just don't like paying the credit card company interest when we have the money just sitting in the bank doing nothing. So, um, let's see what else. Uh, I think that's all the announcements there. So let's get right into our Bible study. Uh, we are working through. Soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. We've talked about how that salvation is the work of God. It's not something that you do. Salvation is something that needs to be done to restore mankind. You can't save something that isn't alive. Uh, you know, we uh, I've used the example many times of uh, being in water, swimming, and you are uh, drowning, you are floundering, you need someone to save you from drowning in the water. Amen? Has anybody been, ever been there? Uh, that's not a nice place to be. You guys weren't ever drowning. Um, but uh, I don't know where those hands came from. Looks like there may have been some collusion there. I don't know. But uh, uh, the, the, uh, to be saved means you have to have life. You're now in trouble and someone in danger of dying and someone rescues you. Mankind had life. We were created in the image of God. We had direct communion with God on a daily basis. And sin came in, mankind was in danger of death, eternal death, spiritual death, separation forever from God. And so God made a way that we could be saved, so that we could be rescued from our peril and brought back to Him. And sin, if sin is left unchecked, if sin is left to do its work, if you die with your sins, the Bible says you will be eternally separated from God. It's amazing how many uh, or how much work mankind has put into dreaming up 
a second chance after this life. And, uh, I mean, the whole doctrine of purgatory that was invented over many hundreds of years, developed by the Roman Catholic Church, is an opportunity, quote-unquote, for a second chance. The only problem is it's an invention of mankind. It's not in the Bible. There is no second chance. Uh, the religions of the East offer in- reincarnation. And you can keep coming back. In fact, you're not who you think you are. You actually were someone else in another time in another place. And, of course... That is really neat if that were true because then you're no longer individually responsible for what you do. It is a result of your karma. Uh, The Calvinist, and I hate to pick on the Calvinist, but they're just so easy to pick on, have taken away that personal responsibility through the doctrine of election. That God chooses some people to get saved and other people to get go to hell, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's why we condemn the doctrine of Calvinism thoroughly. And by the way, it is making a resurgence in the last few years, and so many, many people uh, are allowing their minds and their theology to be polluted by a medieval lawyer. Now, if modern-day lawyers are bad, how do, bad do you think medieval lawyers were? Let me tell you. Uh, they have nothing on our modern-day lawyers as far as just ridiculous interpretations are concerned. And so now we come to the different terms that God has given us to help us understand the work that he does in salvation. We dealt with atonement, the idea of making things right. In the Old Testament, the idea was the rolling back. Is we're going, God says, listen, the account is settled this year on the Day of Atonement. We move to the next year, the account is settled once again. And we move to the next year, the account is settled again. And finally, we come to the old rugged cross and the Atonement was made. Actually, we get to the next word, redemption. The purchase price paid. That's why Jesus said it is finished. Then we get to reconciliation. It is not just making things right. It is making a pathway of understanding so that we can go back and examine the records and know that we are right. This is where the idea of just doing the best that you can and God will understand proves just so shallow. And, and as many of these other things do, it proves that some man thought it up because he got frustrated. He knew that he wasn't holy. And so he throws his hands up in despair and says, well, God will just have to accept me as I am, I'm telling you, there's a different, there's, God had a different plan. It's called reconciliation, where every sin was accounted for. And God's record keeping is perfect. Now we're going to pick up with a new word. Not new to anyone here, justification. 
This is our standing. Now, we use the word justification in a very different way than than necessarily the, the Bible text talks about. Uh, if uh, you're in a situation and uh, someone breaks into your house and they're attacking you or a member of your family and you uh, grab whatever... Uh, happens to be at hand a lamp or a book stand or a bookend or something and club the attacker and you hit him too hard and the attacker dies. They call that justifiable homicide. Because there was a deadly attack going on and you had no idea what was going to happen there and so you did what you could and uh, unlike the situation that happened with one guy, a uh, fellow was trying to break in, and so he shot him through the door and then drug him inside and unloaded his gun a couple of times, and, and they tried to call it justifiable homicide. Uh, didn't work that way. He went to jail. And probably should have. Uh, the simple truth of the matter is, That's not what justification is in the Bible. You see, God is not approving of sin. Justification would be a lot more, a lot closer legally to the word full and complete pardon. Justification, one old preacher put it this way, and, and, and every preacher I've ever known has repeated it. Just as if I never sinned. That's the biblical idea of justification. It is not making allowance for behavior that ordinarily would be against the law. That's not what God does. God is erasing the record. He is making it clean. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And Satan accuses us constantly before God. Read the story, read the book of Job. Uh, he is called the accuser of the brethren in the book of Revelation. And yes, God has justified us. In fact, let's turn, turn to Romans chapter 3 and we'll just look through a few verses here. But as the devil lays accusation after accusation, and here's uh, part of, you know, the Bible says that he has separated our iniquities as far as the east is from the west. Now, aren't you glad God didn't say, I've separated your iniquities as far as the north is from the south? How many of you have heard of a north pole? And by the way, it's in the middle of a frozen ocean. Uh, there is no little pole. In the South Pole, there actually is a little candy cane pole that some scientists stuck in the ground uh, to mark the spot. And, and when you get there, no matter what direction you step in, you're heading north. That's the whole idea of a pole. You cannot go any further south. There's no such thing as an East Pole. 
or a West Pole. If you got in an airplane and started heading east, in fact, my favorite is the space shuttle. Normally, the space shuttle will go around the earth, oh, maybe 20 or 30 times in a couple of days mission. If it docks at the space station or whenever it was flying, uh, sometimes when it was up there for a long period, longer period of time, I mean, traveling at... Uh, 22 to 23 times the speed of light, it could cross the United States in less than three minutes from California to New York City if it was heading east. And you know what? They have to choose the runway based on the direction the shuttle takes off in because it's either going to be heading east or heading west and it's going to land the same direction it started out in because you can't turn that thing around. And God said he separated our sins. The Bible says he has cast them behind his back. He's forgotten them. Why can he forget them? This is where this is where shallow minds come in and destroy the beauty and the wonder of God's word. God doesn't forget because he has too much to remember. God can forget about our sins because they've been reconciled. Once they've been reconciled, He marks the books paid in full. There is nothing left to remember. That's justification. Do you get the connection? Go like this or we'll start over again, all right? You see, God uses all of these words... And let's just look here, verse 20 of chapter 3. No wonder the text looks strange. That was the book of Acts. Let's get to Romans here. It says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ upon all, unto all, and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus." Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay. But by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without deeds of the law. It is, I'm sorry, is he the God of the Jews only? 
Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Now, what's happening here is is the Apostle Paul is explaining to the Jewish people at Rome, uh, the members of the first church there, and there were some Gentiles in their midst, but trying to help them understand that salvation was not given to them because they were Jewish. This was something they had believed for generations. This is the reason why the scribes and the Pharisees could so easily lay aside the Word of God and believe in the traditions of their people and their history and turn a totally blind eye to the Lord Jesus Christ. But that wasn't all Jews. There were many that still had faith. And when John the Baptist came along, what did those that had faith in God do? They believed John. And when John told them about Jesus, those that had faith, what did they do? They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He paid the price. Therefore, God could reconcile our sin as paid, thus reconciling us back into communion with God. And therefore, He gives us justification Now, I want you to turn with me to Romans 5 and verse 9. It says, Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. And let's go to Romans chapter 8, and we'll come back to these verses. Verse 30. It says, Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them also He called, and whom He called, them also He justified, and whom He justified, them also He glorified. Verse 33, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. And you can go on there, and it says, What shall separate us from the love of God? I... Just have no idea where someone who reads and studies their Bible honestly and thoroughly could come up with an idea that you could lose your salvation. You see, this idea of justification is not uh, a temporary thing or a daily thing. It is an eternal standing before God. He has justified us. You can't unjustify yourself. Uh, I've had people argue, say, well, listen, uh, I I know, and they always give uh, uh, some person that they know, they they turn their back on God, and, and they refuse to do anything ever again. Well, 1 John puts that fairly clear. They went out from us because they were not of us. If you're truly saved, the Holy Spirit of God's going to keep pulling you back, no matter what. Isn't that a wonderful thought? And the fact is, God 
has made us just and he keeps us just because it's not us who did the bookkeeping. It was God who did the bookkeeping. And when he proves us reconciled unto God, we cannot help. We must have the standing of justification or God is allowing sin into fellowship with him, which God will never allow. And uh, I've, I've had people over the years say, you, how could you be so arrogant as to say that God has forgiven you for all your sins? Well, it's very simple. That's what he said in the Bible. It's not a hard thing to understand that when Jesus paid the price, he paid the price for all sins. That when he reconciled me to God, he knows what that means. And that gives me justification. Now, we come to the next word, and this is probably one of the most misunderstood words in the English language. And it's misunderstood by most Christians. In fact, what really, uh, this will sound rather strange, but I was listening to one of those... Um, Oh, talk shows on the radio, just, I think I was driving and just needed to stay awake, and somehow this person started talking about forgiveness. And they claimed to be Jewish heritage and says, you know, I don't know what this American garbage called forgiveness is where you just say, don't worry about it. It said, in the Bible, we were taught that forgiveness demands payment and forgiveness demands repentance. And, and and I'm sitting here going, wow, that that's a pretty profound thought. Let's let's look at this thing. You see, when we hear the term forgiveness, this is what we normally think. Well, I know you hurt me, and you intended to hurt me, but I forgive you. One man put it aptly: No one buries the hatchet without drawing a very good map first. Isn't that true? You see, that kind of forgiveness is not in the Bible. Because forgiveness is not based on you. Forgiveness is always based upon God. Because I don't care what you have done and to whom you have done it and to how many people you did it to. I never will forget, I was shaking hands with someone years ago and I said, how are you doing? He says, everybody once and all the easy ones twice. And I'm sitting here going, whoa, I better watch this guy. And he was just one of those smart Alex that was always pulling some kind of prank and always doing something. And, and, you know, and he was telling on himself, but he loved the challenge of trying to just get one ahead of everybody he met. And praise God, I didn't have to spend much time and I don't even remember who he was, but never have forgotten that line. I mean, that was, uh, 
just a strange way to put it. And that's the way some people are. They're just always trying to get something from somebody. Listen, forgiveness, no matter who you've done it to, how many people you've done it to, you've offended God more than you have any other human being. Are we all together there? And you really have no right to give forgiveness to someone until you get it from God first. You see, that is so simple. I'll promise you this. You can pick up a hundred commentaries and read about forgiveness, and I, I doubt you'll read that sentence in more than two or three of them, if that many. The whole idea of forgiveness is based upon God. Read the Old Testament. Read God's talk with Cain concerning Abel. It was, listen, you've got to make things right with me, and if you'll make things right with me, I'll make things right with you. And you can't have forgiveness until you come to God. I mean, the Pharisees had it right. When Jesus uh, took the man that was on the bed of the palsy, they cut open the roof and dropped him down in the midst. And Jesus said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And what did they say? Who can forgive sins but God only? Who is this man making himself? They got it. And Jesus said, I just want to prove to you that I have the right to forgive sins. Because which is harder? To say thy sins be forgiven thee or rise, take up thy bed and walk? Well, it's a whole lot easier to say, son, thy sins be forgiven thee because nobody can see it. But to take a man that's been in bed for his whole adult life and get him up off the bed in a matter of seconds at your command is Rather, a unique set of circumstances to fabricate. Amen? Uh, Putting it very simple. He said, if I have the power to raise this man off the bed at my command, I have the power to forgive sins. That makes me God. See, people say Jesus never claimed to be God. How absurd. Uh, there's only two options. One is profound ignorance. The other is dishonesty. And, of course, I would choose the latter uh, because you don't have to be that ignorant. All you got to do is read your Bible. And so we come to forgiveness. Forgiveness is the removal of the penalty. In order to have forgiveness, guess what? When you receive forgiveness, you have the atonement, the redemption, reconciliation, justification. You have to have all those others to have forgiveness. You can't have forgiveness without them. You read every Old Testament sacrifice, every law pointed, hey, If I came down and took your donkey, I was to, uh, by force, and you went to the local Levite, and he'd say, hey, 
you took his donkey. You're going to have to restore that donkey. Now, that was an exceptional donkey. It's not only worth the standard price. Uh, that donkey was worth more. That's why you probably took it. Well, you, the donkey would be valued in money. And 20% premium would be added, and you had to give him the donkey back and the 20% premium. Or if the donkey had been killed or sold, then you would have to give him that in money and restore that to him. And then you would go to the priest and you would confess your sin and you would offer the sacrifice that was required, usually a ram, and all of the attendant meat offering and drink offering and, and uh, things that were attached to it. And once you offered the sin offering, if you wanted total reconciliation and you wanted things right with God, you would often then offer a peace offering on top of the offering that was a sacrifice for sin. So you ended up paying a huge amount before things were reconciled. Do you think that would be at least a slight deterrence to thievery? You steal a car. Average sized car, what? Uh, average middle, mid sized car, what? Eighteen, twenty thousand dollars nowadays. I think that's a pretty mediocre car, somewhere around that. Well, add five percent. I mean, add twenty percent to the purchase price, another five thousand dollars. And then go take the rest of the sacrifices that you'd have to offer. You'd be almost double the price of what you stole before things were right in modern day cash equivalents. That was how forgiveness was obtained. We think that we get forgiveness when we say, will you forgive me? And you say, yes, well, I'm forgiven then. Now, we're not talking about working for your forgiveness. That forgiveness is an act of God. Because there's absolutely nothing we could do to pay the price for what we've done wrong. In fact, I've often talked to people like this. They'll tell me, well... If you confess your sins, God's able to forgive you of all your sins. And I said, okay, how, do you know all the sins that you've ever sinned? Do you even remember every wrong thing that you've ever done? Would there be anyone here to be so bold to make that claim that they could remember every sin that they've ever sinned? I sure couldn't. You see, that's where we get back into the terms of reconciliation and justification. And that's why God has to do it and you can't. And so we come here to this forgiveness. And let's just look at a couple more verses here tonight. Uh, let's go to Colossians chapter 1. And we already read a sister verse in Romans that says much the same thing. Colossians chapter 1. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Verse 14, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even 
the forgiveness of sins. Let's go to 2 and verse 13. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And we can go on, but this is how forgiveness Our forgiveness is based on His redemption. Jesus paid the price. God has accounted it. And we have forgiveness. Now, if you've been around here very long and you've heard me preach about forgiveness, we go to this story. Uh, This is the story that Jesus gave trying to help us understand forgiveness. Matthew chapter 18, we'll start in verse 24. And uh, actually, let's get verse 21 so we get the context. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And We'll go on here and let me just summarize it. Encourage you to read the whole story later if you're not familiar with it. This king had a man that owed him 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was equal to 116 Roman pennies. Don't ask me who figured this out. That's what the encyclopedia said. A Roman penny was a day's wage. When the story of the vineyard, Jesus said, I'll give you a penny. That was a day's wage. And that seems so strange to us. How in the world would you work for a whole day and only get a penny? My grandfather worked in the mines for a dollar a day in the 20s. And that was actually, if you had those dollars... (laughs) In the 20s today, I'm not sure the exact equivalent, but it'd be really, really close to a a standard day's wage today uh, for a skilled working person. It was a a good salary. He bought a farm, 88 acres, working in the mines for just a few years. You couldn't do that with your salary today, at least not in Astoria. Uh, uh, and so this man owed him the equivalent of 1.16 million days wages. How do you get that far in debt without being AIG? Um, uh, without having the government to help you. How far, how do you get in that far in debt? But this man was there. And he looked at him and said, have patience with me. I will pay thee all. Now, that's a lie. How in the world are you going to pay back a million days wages? I mean, stop and think about it. I mean, that's just nonsense. But because the Lord was great and he was gracious, he forgave me. He said, I I take away the penalty for your debt. You no longer owe me the money. 
And he goes out and catches his fellow servant who owes him a hundred pence. Now, if we keep our reckoning straight, a hundred pence is no small amount of money. That's a hundred days wages. I mean, at 20 days out of the year work, I mean, we work 20 days a month. So that would be five months wages in modern equivalents. How many do you like to owe some, how many of you like somebody to owe you five months wages? I mean, that wouldn't be bad, now would it? That'd be a pretty nice bonus to rake in. And he went out and he caught this fellow, it says, by the throat and said, pay me what you owe. And the guy said, I don't have it. Have patience with me and I'll pay thee all. You know what? That didn't even register to him in his mind that he had just used the same phrase on his boss, not for a hundred days wages, but for over a million days wages. It didn't register. And when the Lord found out what happened, the owner there, the king, the, the, the man who's in charge to whom the money was owed, he said, I can't believe this. I forgave you a million days wages and you wouldn't take the grace that I gave to you, the forgiveness and extended to your friend when actually he owed that money to me because you owed the money to me. He said, I'm taking back my forgiveness. And you're going to prison right now and your kids are going to be sold into, into indentured service to until every penny is paid. Now, what Jesus was trying to illustrate was, if you don't forgive, let's just read the verse here. Verse 35, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Now, that's pretty, that's pretty harsh, is it not? You see, if you understand forgiveness, it's not based on you, it's based on God. We, each one of us, are in God's eyes, in God's bookkeeping, we're the guy that owes 10,000 talents. You know why? Because it will take you all eternity in a place called hell to pay the price for your sins. To pay what you owe God. And God says, I am willing to forgive you based on the price, the redemption of Jesus Christ. Based on the fact that he paid the debt for every sin so that you could be reconciled unto God. You can be justified, made just as if you had never sinned. You can obtain complete and total forgiveness from God for your sins. And if you have that, you have a divinely appointed responsibility to take that forgiveness to others. 
You say, how do I deal with the pain and the suffering that has been inflicted on me? The best way I know how to explain this is you need to reconcile it. You need to prove it. You need to sit down and understand that God has forgiven me for all of my sins. And when I receive his forgiveness, it's like bankruptcy court. When you sign over all your debt to the court, guess what you also assign over to the court? Accounts receivable. Are we still together here? When, when you can't pay your own bills and you go into bankruptcy court, you not only sign over the debts that you have run up, you sign over the income that you have coming and your assets. And, and the judge then will take assets that you have and determine whether they, especially if it's a business, whether these things can be liquidated and the profit paid to the people to whom the money is owed. Well, when you sign over your debt, sin debt to God, he takes over accounts receivable. Only it's not of income, it's of further debt. Because no matter how much they've sinned against you, they've sinned more against God. Are we still together? Hello? Okay, and I have no right to exact from another human being what I gave to God when I got saved. You say, that's a mental game. No, it's not. It's a literal and honest accounting. See, Peter put it this way in his book. Casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. The writer of Hebrews said that we had to beware, we had to watch, because the root of bitterness springing up can defile and destroy the things that God has given you. And it all is attached to this unforgiveness. You see, I need to be able to trust God more than I am trusting myself to protect myself from what other people are trying to do or have done to me. Hello? See, when I get saved, I got forgiven. And other people have done things. I cannot carry the burden of their sin without destroying me. I love Brother Thompson's definition of bitterness. It's drinking poison, waiting for your enemy to die. He said, that don't make sense. Well, bitterness doesn't make sense. If I want freedom from the devices and the machinations of others on my life, I get that by forgiving them. By transferring their guilt from me 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. Study history. Those people that have persecuted God's people. Has not God destroyed them? Do you know at one time the name Nero was one of the most respected names in the whole civilized world? And today, you wouldn't call your dog Nero unless he was an evil dog. Uh, Unless you just had uh, ideas that you're going to use that dog to torture people and other animals and things, then you might call him Nero, but you wouldn't do that. But in 60 A.D., when he was the emperor of Rome and burning Christians, he had more respect than any other man alive. God has a way. Of bringing down them low. But he won't do it while you're carrying a grudge against him. Oftentimes we'll get things going on between kids. And you say, you know what? But, but he started it. But she started it. Well, you know, I can't deal with the person who started it because your behavior. In response to their Wrong behavior is so obnoxious that it stops the whole process. we got to deal with you. And once we get you and your attitude fixed, then we can go back and fix the other one. And if you could stop this foolishness, we might even solve the problem so it wouldn't have to happen again. I wonder how many times God says that to us. How many times does God say, I wish I could salt, I wish I could do something. My judgment is there. As the psalmist said, the arrow is back and, and pulled back, but God can't let it go. Because you're in the way. You've got to stand there and shake your finger in their face. You did that wrong. Hey, forgive me. You turn it over to God. And then he'll take care of them. Uh Uh-uh. Doesn't work that way. If that's your attitude, you didn't forgive them. You're still in the way. And you're going to get double whatever God's got for them before it gets to them. I mean, it's like standing in front of the enemy, waving your hand. And the guy behind you with the machine gun that's going to do the real business can't fire because you're in the way. I mean, it just... Is there any other word in the English language that describes that better than just plain stupid? I know that's a crude word, but it is. I don't know any better way to put it. You see, you need to live in God's forgiveness. It's part of your salvation. Without it, you are not saved. With it, you have the responsibility to turn over all your accounts to God and let Him take care of it. It's a wonderful way to live. You see, salvation is a wonderful thing. It reaches to every part of your life. And our time is up and we still have Sanctification, 
propitiation and glorification. And I want you to remember something. God does every one of these things and we've only scratched the surface. I mean, we could spend so much more time on each one of these subjects than we have. And God does them all at the moment you profess faith in Jesus Christ. He makes it right with God. He pays the purchase price for all of your sins. Atonement. Redemption. He then reconciles you so that you can be justified. And He forgives you so that there's no more debt. But that forgiveness was never meant to end with you. It was meant to reach out to everyone you come in contact with. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you. Lord, I pray that you give us a vision of all that you have done for us in salvation. Lord, that we would just fall down on our faces and glorify you. Help us, Lord. And Lord, if there be one here that's not saved tonight, Lord, that they would see the wonder and greatness of God's salvation and be willing to let go of themselves, of their sin, of their hopes, and to trust God who has done so much and wants to do so much for us. I ask that you'd work during the time of invitation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish the prayer, we'll give you an opportunity. We'll just have a few moments of silence.